1: This is the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. We are on a journey to find the information that's going to help you play the best golf of your life. Join us now as we dive in. Welcome, everybody, to the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough, here with a special guest, Jeff Gregg. He is a mental coach for us, and he works with a lot of sports athletes, but he also is particularly working with golfers and helping them to Get in the zone, get that focus, be present um, with, with their golf game and their swing. We'll, we'll touch more on where you can follow him and, and all his stuff later on in the episode and learn about how you can be a part of a challenge he's, he's trying to get everybody to a part of uh, to improve their mental game. Welcome, Jeff, and thank you for coming on.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: So I always start asking everybody, what
0: got you into golf? Well, I actually got into golf pretty late. Um, I was always a ski racer and a soccer player growing up. And when I was 25 years old, actually, uh, my brother-in-law, who was really into golf at the time, uh, lost one of the guys out of his foursome. And he said, hey, you want to come play with us? And I was like, well, first off, I've never played before and I'll embarrass myself and it'll be idiotic. But also it just seemed like I was always a high energy activity kind of thrill sport type of guy. And I was like, no, 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 no. And Finally, he convinced me to go. And that all it took was that one time. I was just completely hooked one playing golf that one time when I was 25.
1: It's, it's amazing how easily these people
0: get hooked, right? <laughs> yep. Well, and it was uh, so I at that point I was coming from my pro soccer background. And when you're playing pro soccer, your whole success depends on what your coaches think of you. And so the cleanliness and the and the simplicity of going on the golf course. And it was just me and the ball in the golf course. That is what really hooked me. It was just nothing else mattered. Didn't matter what anybody thought of what my swing looked like or what anybody else was doing. It was just how good a job can I do of getting that golf ball into the hole. And that I just, I found that super attractive. It reminded me of ski racing when I was a kid where it was just me and the mountain and the clock.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Um, it brings back memory. You said coach, the coach's opinion of you. I remember, I think it's about in freshman year playing basketball and this is Indiana. So everybody plays basketball and uh, being small, I always got to play point guard and I had this one guy who was playing off of me always as I was coming down the court. And so I'm at the top of the key. There's a guy three or four feet in front of me. I'm like, I got to pull it right. And I got to pull it and the coach as I'm in the middle of my shot goes, no,
0: <laughs> like, come on coach. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny. I, my, had similar experiences, but I was, So I was a attacking midfielder. And at the time that I was playing, that was all small players and I'm six foot one. So coaches were always trying to put me at central defense or somewhere other than where my strengths lie. So everything about what I wanted to do, what I had so much passion for was based on what somebody else's perception was. And it was, you know, it was frustrating. So golf was just a beautiful change for me.
1: Right, right. And that's what I love about golf is you see all these different sizes. You got Abraham answer versus DJ you know, and at the masters and it's like, I don't even know what the, the size difference was, but it looked pretty drastic.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. and you know, you, you know, Brian Harmon's a little guy too, probably five, five, something like that. And then, you know, Tony yep. Finau, six, three, six, four. So yeah, it, there's it's cool because it's just about you and the ball and the course.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well let's get into the, the meat and bones of this stuff here. So uh, we want to talk a lot about mental strength and mental, mental toughness here on this episode. So, what does or what is that kind of how do you term that? How do you describe that? And then why, why is it important for a golfer? Well,
0: there, there's a lot of different aspects to mental strength. There's training your focus, there's managing your emotions, there's understanding your underlying psychological patterns, there's all kinds of different aspects. But the core element, the the big goal that we're training for is you need the ability to focus on what you want to focus on, not what you don't want to focus on. So that's kind of the essential element. There's, there's, the more mental strength you have, the better your ability to focus on the positive cue that you want to happen under really, really stressful situations. So if, you're, <clears throat> if your mental strength is really weak, then your focus is wandering you've got this thought you've got this emotion sounds are bothering you your buddy's jingling their change in their pocket is bothering you but when your mental focus is really good and i'm sure you've probably experienced this if you have you ever stood over a shot and just said you know what i know i'm going to hit a go, good shot uh, yeah yeah so that's mental strength the the stronger your mind is the more or the, the stronger your mental strength is the more you have trust that you can do what you want to do. And that allows you to turn down the dial of distractions, as it were. So as an athlete, there's two states, there's focused and there's distracted. The stronger you are mentally, the more ability you have to stay focused, no matter what level the distractions are, whether that's pressure or emotions or thoughts. So training it is uh, and this is where things have gotten really, really fun for us. Training, it used to be kind of gray areas, right? You, you had to do the warm fuzzy of, well, what emotion am I feeling and what I do with that emotion? Well, now we actually know that there's a very specific brainwave frequency where your focus is the strongest. And we have devices where we can, I actually work with golfers with a EEG monitoring band on their head so I can show them what their brainwaves are doing so the, there's science behind what your focus should feel like.
1: Yeah. So then you're just monitoring those frequencies and that way that gives you the insight on, on kind of where they are in that focus level.
0: Yep. So the, without going into a brainwave science diatribe, which I love to do, so we have to be careful with that, but (laughs) basically the lower your brainwaves are and you're still conscious, the better you perform. So In your brainwave frequencies, as you have more thoughts and more emotions, your brainwave frequency goes up. As you are more present and more calm and you're more in your senses, your brainwave frequency goes down. So the, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in a couple minutes here, but the peak of athletic performance is being in the zone. And the zone is at a brainwave frequency that's very close to being in your subconscious as opposed to being conscious.
1: Okay, and so we want to be have those brain waves as low as possible uh, in order to perform better, but not be asleep. So we have to have that yep. you know, ideal arousal arousal level, I guess we'll say, and
0: yep. but not, that's a not good word too amped it. up. Yeah. Okay. So the, the um, it, and it's like anything; it's it's a balancing act. So at any point in time, you have all of your brainwave frequencies are working, but it's which one that's dominant. Right. So just because you are um, in the zone, which is on the border of alpha and theta, no pop quizzes there. Okay, Um, your brain, your beta brainwave frequencies are still working. There are still uh, excuse me. There are still some gamma waves going on. And actually, when you're in the deepest part of the zone, gamma waves are the highest brainwave frequencies. But they're also the only frequencies where all parts of your brain are working together. So you get some new neural patterns. And again, we don't have to get too much into the science, but basically, you're never going to be just using one brainwave frequency. All of them are happening. What I'm helping athletes to do is learn to recognize when the correct ones are dominant so that they can do that more often.
1: Okay. So can I just say that recognition helps people to know where they are in that level and that better, I guess we'll say better control over over kind of their... Emotions, their psychological state, however we want to describe that. Yeah. So the,
0: the two key words are cues and triggers. So the cues are what help you access the correct place. Uh, sorry, the cues are what let you know when you're in the right place. The triggers are what help you access it. So... First thing we want to, first thing I do with an athlete is help them recognize the cues of bad brainwave frequencies for performance and good brainwave frequencies for, for, for performance. So when they're on their own, they can be paying attention to that and starting to groove the right things. They're looking for the right signals. And then we look for each person's personal triggers. So there are some universal triggers for getting in the zone and getting better brainwave frequencies, but there are some that are different from person to person and sport to sport. Okay.
1: So well, I don't want to go ahead and touch on those. Um, what kind yeah. of what are some kind of maybe more generalized triggers that
0: that you oftentimes
1: find that a lot of people respond yeah. well to and getting them? To-
0: the big picture triggers are really being able to be present in the moment is number one. And then having the correct skill to challenge ratio is number two. So presence, what it does is when you're present, and presence means that you have to be fully in your sensory systems of your brain. So your eyes, your ears, your proprioception of spatial awareness, your kinesthetic feel in your body. As soon as you start thinking or you start getting into emotions, then your brain waves go to a bad place. So you can't be in the zone and have any thoughts. You can't be in the zone and have any emotions. So we know that one of the biggest triggers is just Doing exercises, and this is one where it varies a lot from athlete to athlete. Some of my athletes we have some really simple breathing exercises and they can start to access presence super quickly, and others they need to combine it more with movement because their brainwave bias tends to be more towards thoughts or emotions. In other words, they spend a lot of time thinking and being emotional, like a Jordan Speeth. If you watch, so if you think about it, Dustin Johnson is a low brainwave bias guy, okay? does not have trouble being calm. He has trouble focusing sharply at the right moment, which is why he'll make some mental mistakes. Jordan Spieth is a high brainwave bias bias guy. So he's very, very focused. He knows exactly all the different things he wants to do and he filters everything out and he analyzes out, but he has trouble getting calm at the right time, right? So knowing those basic bias helps me as a coach to be able to have people go okay well in your daily training here's what you need to do you need to figure out what are the things i need to do to calm down a little bit or what are the things i need to do to bring my focus up a little bit okay so Does that I guess, make sense yeah and
1: so how do i start recognizing whether i'm more of a, a a high wave or a low wave whether i need to calm down or whatnot
0: so when you're on the first T. Do you tend to struggle more with emotions, or do you tend to struggle more with focusing sharply? I'd probably say focusing sharply because usually it's like,
1: you know, you're you're on the first tee and there's always a group behind you that's waiting the tee off too, and so it's always like, all right, come on, you know, get up there, just let's get this over with, so that they aren't thinking I'm slow play because nobody likes a slow player and all this stuff, and
0: and then that's so- when the- you know, one of the interesting ways, and this is just from a casual observer perspective, is generally the golfers that play faster tend to be more lower brainwave bias. They they want to get going, right? They don't want to think about it. They don't want to emote on it. They just want to go. The people that play slower tend to be more of a high brainwave bias because they want to take in all the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, that
1: makes sense. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I'm, I'm definitely so a best guys like
0: guys like Ricky Fowler and Dustin Johnson who play really really quickly. Their challenge is that when crunch time comes, their focus is, okay, I want to get going. I want to do this. And they may overlook some things, right? Guys like Jordan Spieth, they're going to slow down and they're going to try to think too much and analyze too much. They're they're more, there's more emotion there. So they're more fearful of taking the action. So there's good in both for both ways. They both have power, but you have to know your specific personal balance. All
1: right. All right. So yeah, I'm definitely a fast player. Um, so I'm 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 kind of like the I think I've heard Brooks uh talk about it like get the ball, hit ball, get the ball, yeah. hit ball. You know, it's like there's
0: nothing more to it. And I was like, yeah, that's that's kind of how I see it too. So yeah, um, yeah so that's a real simple way. And obviously there uh, I have more kind of the easiest way is just put a brainwave band on somebody and I give them a few tests and you can see where their bias is at. But if you tend to want to, you know what, I just want to get to the ball and I want to hit the ball. I don't want to think about it too much. Then you're probably more of a low brainwave bias and you need to figure out ways to engage more and to tune your focus more on the cues for that particular shot. Uh, If you're more of a high brainwave bias person, you're going to take too much time. You're going to try to get all the information you can before you actually hit the shot.
1: Yeah, so would you say to kind of to I guess for the focus side, or so somebody like me who who wants to just kind of play and hit, and uh, they're on that. I guess the lower brain wave is if I'm right on that. Yeah, uh, I want to start maybe thinking a little bit more about the I guess the details of the shot to kind of get that focus. Yeah, or- you want
0: So the the cues for the zone. We you know if we relate it to a golfer, it's you need to know ahead of time that. When you get ready to perform, is your optimum cue a visual cue or a feel cue? It's never a thought cue. It's never an emotion. Now, what the lower brainwave bias athletes will tend to do is once they've already decided what shot they want to hit, they won't really fine tune that cue, whether it's a feel cue or whether it's a picture cue. So great example. Everybody knows Nicholas was super visual. Right. Nicholas used to create a movie in his head. He would see the ball on the green and then he would see the ball flying to the green. So he would picture the target, picture the shot shape, and then he would allow his body to step into that visual movie. And he wouldn't hit a shot without doing that. So he always made sure that he had this super sharp visual focus. So as a calm bias person that if you're a visual calm bias, then that's what you need to do. If you look on the other end, um, I was very fortunate in 2000, I got to spend a whole day with Tiger doing a clinic. And I said, you know, what are you working on? And this was a week before he won the US Open by 15 shots. So he was in a pretty good place. Right. And he said, you know, at the time he was working with Butch and he said, Butch and I are, we found that I have the highest level of trust and I feel the best over a shot when I'm trying to hit every shot at 80% of full speed. So that's a kinesthetic cue. That's a feel cue. So for him, everything he did in his pre-shot routine was trying to funnel to that super sharp feel of 80% of full speed. So one of the nice things about golf is that it's a routine-based sport. So once you understand what the correct focus state feels like, and once you understand whether you're a visual person or a feel person, then all you have to do is build that into your routine. You're, you you do not have to, it's not like basketball or soccer or ski racing where it's a reactive sport as opposed to a routine sport.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: that's interesting. So, yeah. So, okay. So I'm a, i am I can see a little light bulb going on over your head there.
1: Yeah. Well, so I was just kind of thinking about myself. So I, I'm definitely more of a feel person. I've, I've been trying to do a little bit more visualization of the shots because of, you know, coming across some of this information about seeing what's actually going to be happening. But I think I've always been a feel type of guy where, okay, I'm wanting to, you know, have this kind of, I don't guess my feel in my shoulder turn or, or something on those or my hands
0: uh, and whatnot. So, so that's all I was thinking. Let me pass along a little helpful hint in all my experience. I haven't had any athletes in any sport who are 100% visual and 0% feel or 100% feel and 0% visual. So the way I break it down is you want to find out what your active cue is and what your passive cue is. So just as an example for me, I am a feel-based full swinger in golf. But if I don't have a little bit of a passive cue of keeping my eye on the impact area, then even if I have great feel, my brain tends to wander a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, you know the the visual cues that I run into most for golfers are a visual of where they want the ball to land, like a basketball free throw shooter looking at the back of the rim. Okay. The another really popular visual cue is the shape of the shot. So, picturing exactly the trajectory and the shape that the shot is going to have, and not thinking at all about the target. Um, and for the be, more beginner golfers, it's hard for them to trust picturing a shape will get it done or it's hard to picture the target and getting it done. So a visual of what's happening at impact is something that they feel they're going to have more control over. So the trust level is higher. So the key with the cues isn't so much, is there a right cue or a wrong cue or now you need to do more visualization. It's when you're getting ready to pull the club back, which one produces the highest level of trust, because that's where you can access the optimum focus state and get in the zone more often. So I do a little test with my golfers at the range. We test three or four different visual cues and three or four different feel cues. And it's always amazing. It doesn't necessarily produce the best shots right away, but they look at me and go, yeah, that was really easy for me to focus on nothing else and trust it really, really highly. And it can change over time. um, And it can change from shot to shot. Like I'm highly, uh, I'm probably 90% feel and 10% visual on the full swing but I'm a complete flip-flop in the short game. So when I'm chipping and pitching, it's all the visual of the landing spot. But the, the big picture takeaway for the folks that are listening is, if you don't know if your trust level is higher on visual or feel, or even worse, if you're getting lost on thoughts and emotions, then you got no chance of hitting the kind of shots you want to hit.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think mean, confidence is huge. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? Um, where, do we, where do we start building some of that confidence in And whichever one, you know, after we've figured out, I'm more of a visual or more of a feel kind of
0: guy. Where do we kind of maybe how do we build that? Well, the the key. So there's a little there's a little pyramid. The bottom of the pyramid is self belief, okay, and that is something that you want to get to where that never changes because that's what allows you to overcome new challenges and new situations. Okay, up above that is your trust level. And that means that I'm doing the right things in training. I've done this before. And then at the very top of that is confidence. And confidence is a great one. It's the one that allows you to stand over the shot and say, you know what? I know I'm going to hit a good shot here. But it's elusive. Even with the best players in the world, it changes a little bit from day to day. Mm -hmm. So you want to build the pyramid from the bottom, starting with the self-belief. And then the trust comes from having enough success over a period of time in small steps. So the learning science tells us that if you want, if you're at place A and you want to go to place B, you can't try to say, all right, I'm going to just get to place B. You have to take a series of small, successful steps, because if you're just in A and you want to get to B, there's going to be a lot of failures. And every time you fail, you're eroding your trust. So you're never going to get confidence under pressure. All right, good. So Anytime you're trying to develop something, whether it's a physical skill or a mental skill, and you want to exercise that new physical skill or mental skill, you have to set up a progression where you're seeing little bits of success over a long period of time. That's what allows you to improve, but also still build the level of trust that goes with that. So I call those success progressions. And most of us as athletes, we see where we want to be, you know, we want to gain 10 more yards. We want to cut down 10 strokes. And if that's all you're looking at, it's great motivation, right? Cause you know, you have to do the work to get there, but if that's all you're focusing on, you're going to experience a lot of failure on the way to there. And every time you experience failure, you're eroding your trust. You're making it hard to access that peak of the pyramid of confidence. So you just, it's a, it's another balancing act, right? When you're practicing, you need to make sure you're balancing out testing yourself versus building your trust, right? You get better when you test yourself, but you get more confidence when you do things that are increasing your trust.
1: So I think that might be a good segue to you were mentioning earlier about um, the skill challenge ratio. Yeah. So why don't we That's go into great, that a little great bit? Pick up on how do your we
0: part.
1: How do we get that? How do we? I guess you know, where, where's the ideal? Ratio for that, where we're not challenging ourselves too much, um, but we can still still have that progression of a progression and building of confidence that trust.
0: Yeah, this is a you know, this is an interesting one that's relatively discovered relatively recently that there's a really specific window. It's one hundred and five to one hundred and ten percent of your skill ratio is where it's easiest to access the zone. So just a little bit above where you're conf- where, where you feel confident that your skills are at. So if you, let's say you try to hit a shot that uh, is maybe 20% above your skill level, okay? There's gonna be too much emotion. There's gonna be too much fear. There's gonna be too much anxiety. It's gonna be hard to have any trust. But if you you start hitting shots that are 20% below your skill level, then you lose that activation. You lose that engagement. You get bored essentially. So it's between fear and boredom but you have that little bit of extra, Oh man, this is going to be a real challenge that really sparks all of the systems in your brain and triggers the right chemicals that accesses the best performance. That that makes me question,
1: like, how did Tiger do it
0: for so long? He was really good at being able to push himself internally. So, you know, there's internal motivations and external motivations. If you're motivated externally, then you're always going to feel more pressure than is really there. So it's going to be really hard to find that sweet spot. That sweet spot gets really small. But his his drive was very much, sure, he wanted to beat Jack and win all the goals, but his thing was, I want to play the best that I can play every single day, or sometimes I want to beat that guy that I'm playing with. So that internal drive, made it easier for him to access that window of challenge to skills, because what happens as soon as you introduce more pressures, that's more distractions. And that just throws the whole equation really out the window.
1: Yeah. So you would think, you know, somebody, if for any of the professionals, right, like they get so good at, at doing certain shots and they see it, you know, it day in day out on the, on the course, um, that you would think that the, you would be 20% below their skill, on a lot of these shots. And so maybe that's why you get some of these errant shots on the
0: tour because they're, ha- they're bored. <laughs> it's actually a fun but. one to watch for when you watch a tournament and you see a bad shot, see if you can yeah. figure out, is that bad shot because it was too, because they were too bored or because they were hyper anxiety. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I mean, you see you the other thing place. about Tiger is his sense of self-belief was one of the strongest that you'll ever find in an athlete because of his relationship with his dad right his dad used to test him super super strongly but then reinforce it so he had this really unbelievable foundation of even if i played bad on a particular day or to me one of his greatest strengths was he could hit heinous shots but he would follow it with one of the most amazing shots Mm -hmm. because nothing chipped away at that sense of self-belief until he crashed his suv
1: yeah yeah I mean, you even saw glimpses of it at the Masters this past year where, uh, you know, I can't remember, was it 14? He gets like a an eight or whatever, but then he goes out and goes 15, 16, 17 boat birdies,
0: maybe even 18 birdied. Yeah. yeah so that, So if somebody's self-belief isn't strong enough, as soon as they make a mistake, they're going to tend to fall apart. Right. Yeah. Wow.
1: So cool. Um, wanted to, to briefly touch on uh, – I think we've kind of covered, you know, a lot of the low hanging fruit that you were talking about with the figuring out what your visual and, or your feel, your cues and your triggers a little bit. I don't know if there's, yeah, there's anything else you wanted other, to touch one other on that?
0: thing that's a really tangible one, when you go to the range. So one of my biggest pet peeves is that most golfers, if they do practice, they don't practice efficiently. So, you know, how often have you heard that, oh, I hit the ball great at the range, but when I go on the course, I don't hit it as good. Or when I go to a tough course, I don't hit it as good. So those different levels. Well, the best way to do that, and other sports actually use this really well, and golfers are just starting to, you need to practice under more stress, under more pressure than you're going to play. Right. So if you want to access that 105 to 110% challenge to skill window, you got to practice at 120. So you know you can succeed. So when you're practicing picture super small targets, right? Or you, or so most of us, when we go to the range, it's all about feeling good. You want to hit 27 irons in a row. So you feel really good. You have to take part of every practice session and make it harder, make it more stressful than it would ever be at the course. That way, when you get on the course, it's going to be easier though. The way we're wired as humans is that if we feel good in one situation we have to, in order to access a tougher situation, we've already have to done it before. You're rarely going to do it the first time. So practice tougher than you're going to play. And again, you don't want to do that for the whole practice session, but maybe you put aside 20% of your practice session where you're really going to test yourself really, really hard, because then when you get on the course, it's going to be like, oh yeah, I've done this at the range a hundred times, or this is easier than what I've done at the range. So When you're practicing as a golfer, just make sure you're not just looking for the feel good, warm fuzzies at the range, push yourself at the range to make it easier on the course.
1: Yeah. It's funny. You bring it in the other sports and how they do that. And I think the number of times I practiced, you know, the four on three drills or or whatever in basketball, or we would do like a seven on 11 drills in football and stuff like that, where you're, you're outmanned and whatnot. It's like, okay, well, you got to figure out how to, how to do this. And, and, It makes sense in golf, where we have to challenge. The only way to challenge yourself is to put constraints on your own, on your own uh, practice time. Yeah. So the
0: the high intensity training makes the pressure in the actual situation seem way less. It's a really simple one, but it's a really powerful one. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. Uh, All right, so we've talked a little bit about pre-shot routine and the importance of it getting you into that state of focus, that presence. So what kind of recommendations do you have for for most golfers on that aspect?
0: So the the pre-shot routine is absolutely the most important thing for golfers. So there's all kinds of training tips, like training intensity level, and there's some really cool brain science we know as far as making physical changes to your swing. But the essential element for golfers, the core thing that I work on with all my golfers, is you have to build the pre-shot routine that puts your brain in the right focus state before every shot. Right. And then you have to train that in increasingly higher levels of pressure. So you can deal with it on the course. And the pre-shot routine is actually relatively simple. You think of it as a funnel. So it's really wide at the top and really narrow at the bottom. Okay. And at the top is where all your thoughts are. So, how far am I? What's the wind like? What's the lie like? What club am I going to use? What, you know? Where do I want to miss it? Where do I want to hit it? So all of the cognitive, all of the thoughts and analogies and all of the deductions are at the top part of the funnel. So there's a lot of stuff going on and that can start. You don't want to start it too soon because the more you use the cognitive part, the harder it is to leave that cognitive part and also the more energy you use during the round. So you want to make it brief if you can. Uh, One of the things I do to test my golfers is I say, "Okay, you want the cognitive part of your routine to happen in 10 seconds if they're used to doing it in 30 seconds. So you force them to be more efficient. But so the routine goes from the thinking part and the rational and the analytical part. And then you start moving down. And I would recommend if you let's say that, you know, you're feel oriented, but you need a little bit of visual. So you go from the thought part to your secondary um, sensory foot. So let's say, you know, you need a little bit of visual. You do that in the middle of the funnel. And at the bottom of the funnel, you're just trying to get to one sensory cue because our brains are wired. And this is actually one of the main cues for the zone is you have to have a single cue and it has to be a sensory cue. And that helps pull you into the zone. As soon as you start having a thought cue, or there's an emotion slipping in, it pulls you back out of the zone. So the big picture is you wanna make the pre-shot routine as brief as you can, okay? And still allow yourself to trust. And you move from thinking to your secondary sensory to your primary sensory. And so right before you pull the trigger, whatever your most trusted sensory cue is, is where you want to have your focus and your awareness just singularly dialed in on that one thing. Awesome. Well,
1: so, all right, that's pretty good. And so what I'm going to do now is we're going to go into the mulligan round. So this is just quick questions where just what your, your first idea thought uh, answer, and we will go from, from there. Okay. All right. Favorite club in the bag? Sandwich.
0: Worst club in the bag? Three Iron. What's the best round you've ever had? Uh, Best round was 67 at Torrey Pine South. Not the lowest, but definitely the best.
1: Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, If you could choose one superpower, what would it be? Time travel. Mm.
0: And what's your go-to karaoke song? (laughs) <laughs> um i i think it would be better for the world if i never sang karaoke <laughs> all
1: right i guess i'll you use your mulligan there you pass that one up all right a uh, weirdest golf term
0: um a gilligan i don't what's a gilligan it's the opposite of a mulligan it's uh, when you hit a if you hit a really good shot or a hole a really long putt your partners make you have to take it over again and <laughs> the reason why it, it's why do we, why do they call it a Gilligan, right? It's the character from the TV show, but yeah. So it's, that one always cracks me up.
1: I've never had that one. I don't have to use yeah, it. There's, the there's, a,
0: round. <laughs> there's a not suitable, not suitable for work one too. It's called Ot Fig. Over the top, fooey it's gone. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are definitely my two favorites.
1: Awesome. Uh, what What's an exercise or drill that you use
0: to help your own game? My personal favorite is swinging with a ball at half speed. Because when you go, what happens is the closer you get to full speed, the more your dominant patterns from your brain to your body take over. So the electricity, the rivers of electricity that go from your brain to your body, which are what control your movements, the closer you get to normal speed, the harder it is to break those patterns. So when I want to create a new pattern Half speed swings, number one, allow me to monitor it better, right? Because you can more accurately assess when you're going slower, but also it's just much easier to do the movement correctly when you're going a little bit slower. So I use that. That's, I use that one a lot. I, I can tell if I'm trying to do something new, if I can do it at half speed and I can do it correctly, then it's ready to take to the course.
1: Okay. What's the takeaway you want everybody to get from today's conversation?
0: I think there's, You know, this is all about helping people have more fun and enjoy the game that they love more. There's two things. If you're going to practice, practice more efficiently, right? There's a a biofeedback rule that if you want to create a new pattern, you have to have 80% of the repetitions correct over a period of a minimum of three weeks. So most people just tend to go to the range and they're really sloppy, shot after shot after shot. So if you're not getting 80% of your repetitions correct, you're not really changing. You're just treading water. So if you want to improve faster, make sure you're obeying that 80% rule. If you want to perform better, dial in your pre-shot routine, find out what your sensory cue is and lock that into a routine that just can't be interfered with. So you can dial down those distractions.
1: Awesome. And
0: a question that I came across
1: and I'm going to start adding into this for everybody. uh, Recently, if you could have a a tour pro hit your T-shot or your putt, and you would take all the other shots on the course, which would you choose, them to hit the tee ball or uh, off the putts? Uh, Definitely
0: tee ball. All right. Yeah, so, yeah, putting putting was always my strength on the mini tours. I always felt like I could hole anything. Uh, Yeah, from 100 yards and in, I was as confident as I ever needed to be. But to have somebody who could, you know, like Rory, when he's hot, to have him bombing it out there for me, yeah, I'd love that.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, Before we wrap up, how can everybody that's listening, follow you or keep up with what you're doing?
0: So my website is ggzap.com. Okay. So just the letters ggzap.com. And that kind of gives you all the general information of what I do. And there's a lot of videos and a bunch of blog posts. I would love to have people go to, My name, which is Jeff Gregg, G-E-O-F-F-G-R-E-I-G.podia.com. And there is a seven day mental game challenge for golfers that anybody can take for free. And uh, so the more people that take that for free, uh, it's great. And I love to have people give me a shout if they have any questions about it, if they want any help with it. So um, those would be the the places to go for sure. And you can obviously follow me on Facebook too.
1: Yeah, we'll have all that stuff in, in the uh, show notes below. So you guys can check that out to, to get the challenge and start learning a little bit more about, about some of the stuff we talked about today. I've started some of this stuff with some good good information that uh, Jeff's got for us. So definitely go hit that up. That's it for this episode of the Golf Under Power podcast. We'll have all of Jeff's information there. Like I said, and thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you, Jeff, for coming on. Remember-
0: Oh, thank you. Appreciate you having me.
1: Remember, simple consistency leads to greatness. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed this content on the go. If you found it helpful, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. This allows us to reach more golfers just like you that want to play under par. Do you want to be stronger and healthier? Well, I've got a resource for Golf Fitness Tips. It's a free Facebook group where we talk about how to take care of our bodies so that we can play more golf, we can play golf longer in life, and we can play better on the course. If that interests you, then check out the link below or search for Golf Fitness Tips
0: on Facebook.